Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. I'm Bradley and I think he's in the room. I can't quite see because my eyes are playing up. But Stu, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm waving frantically, but I just realised that probably doesn't make any difference to you. That wouldn't matter even if I could see because, you know, we're not allowed in the same room. No, quite rightly. Something to do with a court order, is it? Or Yes. I think we were telling people it was COVID, but yeah. No. I know, that, that plan really worked well, didn't it? You know, pretend there's a pandemic so, you know, we could hide the court orders. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Anyway, this is my podcast and you have absolutely no authority here, Stuart Peake. No authority. Yeah, no, I get that. I know, we made a reference joke. The lowest form of jokes, apparently, nowadays. <laughs> yeah, they are low-hanging fruit, to be fair. Oh, yeah, no, I've been watching, um, sort of, like, on YouTube over the past few weeks, a few, like, film critique-type uh, YouTube channels, and it's, like, looking at, like, the worst films there are, and quite often they pick up on, ugh, it's just reference humour. That's the worst in films. I was like, oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? I don't do that very often. Ages like milk. <laughs> yes. It very much does. So, I mean, just let everyone know, I, I'm struggling with my eyes a bit again this week. I had lots of improvements and then they've just gone back to being a bit poor um, these last few days. So I've not actually played much. This might be a very short gaming section. Um, Stu might have played hundreds of games, but because I've not played hardly anything, it means I can't talk as much about them. So it'll be shorter. So we'll start with you, Stu, what you've been playing. Yeah, well, as you say, not actually that much. So I completed Ghost Runner, which was absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it to anyone who likes any of that kind of fast traversal stuff. So, uh, like I said last week, particularly Mirror's Edge and Titanfall 2. I think if you liked those, you can't go far wrong. And after completing that final fight, LNS Ultimate, I was talking about last week, the mm. beat em up game, I dipped back into a couple so i replayed final fight 2 on the snes not on the snes but emulate in the snes and that's not a very good game but you know i had a bit of a bit of a happy half hour with it or whatever knocking around and also battle circuit which is a strange capcom beat em up from about 95 i think it's uh, just after yeah obviously the the ps1 had come out and nobody gave a, a monkeys about 2D games anymore so it's a really good looking 2D game but nobody really played it but yeah no it's good fun it's over the top it's kind of you know garish sort of Jetsons inspired type backgrounds and aliens and stuff so yeah it's, it's good fun but not deep at all but I enjoyed it so yeah and that is it for me I've, I've really touched nothing else but that Fair enough. This Battle Circuit, you said it's got like a Jetsons-style backgrounds and stuff like that. I take it that's all it borrows from the Jetsons rather than the rampant sexism and stuff like that. Yeah, no, they're uh, uh, in typical Capcom fashion, the female characters are, are very well proportioned. But um, <laughs> other than that, no, <laughs> there's not overt misogyny in it. Actually, I want to go, one day we might chat about this, but when you look back at all the old classic cartoons, like the Jetsons, the Flintstones, and, and things like that, it's, um, oh, the misogyny that's in those scenes. Um, and we're quite, sort of, like, happy to have. It's ridiculous. Uh, it might be worth covering one day. Yeah. Um, but, no, I've, I've not been playing much either. I've played a couple of um, indie games. 
there's a shock. I usually play the big AAA blockbusters. You are known for it. I know, I am. And one is a roguelike, there's a shock, but it's not a card battling roguelike, which is a shock. Um, it's um, sort of the Necromancer, which is a sort of like a dungeon crawler, roguelike type thing that has um, sort of intrigued me. I went into it with low expectations, actually. Um, like the concept is you're this warrior um, woman and you were tasked with protecting a... It's not even actually down as a princess, but a princess-type character. And she dies, but you have uh, ability to sort of raise things from the dead. But you need more power to be able to raise um, the character back from the dead because video games. So you're tasked with going into this, this mystery dungeon and killing the monsters in there to gain your powers and stuff like that. Die, you lose everything, you start from scratch, typical roguelike mechanics. But it's got two really good mechanics that I liked. The first one is it's got this thing they called an IR system, an IR card system, where you can enter these QR-style codes and you have to kind of um, paint them. Do you remember the old editor on the old... Um, Pro Evolution soccer games like the PS2 era ones yeah. where you had to fill it in pixel art style to get the badges like you created yourself. It's like, it's done like that, which is really cool. Um, so you enter these QR codes and you can use those to get different weapons, buffs, um, or even make the game harder for yourself, things like that, which is really good. Um, but you have to enter new ones um, and they're, like they're single use so every time you die and you've taken some of the stuff you've entered QR codes for you have to re-enter them again which I first thought oh that's a bit naff then I realised actually that's really good because it means you're not just like overpowering yourself all the time and breaking the game you've got to really want to go with what you're doing to paint them all back in again um, so that's, that, that was really good but the main draw of the game the main mechanic is you take you've got like um, various slots it started with four slots but they've um, patched it to get more in there um, you've got weapon slots but you can also fill these weapon slots with um, the souls of the enemies you've slain the monsters because um, you can bring them back to life and get them to fight for you and it's a really interesting mechanic because of the way the enemies work you've got some that are uh, more annoyances so it's just the way they move about don't do much damage and they just get in your way and it's like oh, just, you kind of wave at them to get rid of them um, so you can get those and they'll distract enemies. You can get others that do absolutely brutal damage and stuff like that. It's almost like one, one of the monsters is like a tank style. It's got a shield. You have to dodge past it and then take and destroy it from behind. So if you kill that one, that's really useful as like using it as a tank for yourself to then sort of move around and kill other enemies. Um, and it's just yeah, a really, really good mechanic. And... I, it's very hard to go, do you know what, overall the game is excellent, it does this really well, and it's it's wonderful, but I found myself playing it again and again and again and again, and whilst it's never going to be remembered, I think, as fondly as Binding of Isaac or Hades or, or anything like that, it's one of those where the time you're playing it, so probably like, say, like the one-month period, I'll really hammer that game, uh, but you're just going to get so much from it, but then sort of like you'd be happy to whatever the next darling is that comes around, which will probably easily replace it. But yeah, Sword of Necromancer, a really good uh, indie roguelike. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's that mechanic of using your enemies or be, sort of becoming them 
doesn't happen very often, but when it's done well, it's a really interesting little wrinkle in things. And I, I suppose yeah. partly it's just balance, isn't it? Because you know, if it there's going to be very little difference most of the time between picking up a new sword that has abilities and taking over an enemy that has different abilities. So I suppose people don't bother, and also you know it's costly on if you if you're doing it in sprites. But uh, when it's done well, it's good, and I really like um, G Darius, where you you take over bits of ships and stuff. Uh, to yeah. give yourself different abilities and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, it's cool. And it'd be good to see more of it as well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the only other time I've seen it done really well in a game like that would be um, Diablo 3, where you actually use a necromancer. Um, it's one of their abilities. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really good take on it. Um, obviously, 2D pixel graphics, because that's what most roguelikes are. Yeah. But, yeah. So, talking of 2D pixel graphics, the other game I've been playing is called Disjunction, which is a stealth-em-up, cyberpunkish game uh, that's just a really, really solid effort. It's, it reminds me a bit, the way the levels are structured and the simplicity of the levels, even though they form like a much bigger thing, is the original Metal Gear Solid VR missions. There's definitely a, like a Metal Gear Solid tone to it but without the Hideo Kojima um, over the top um, even David Lynch would go what style to it fair play <laughs> it's um, very standard it's like the story is actually very basic three intertwined characters and it's all fairly mundane actually but it was enough to sort of keep me interested I, I will say that and it's the best cyberpunk game released in the last few months uh, because no crunch made by an indie developer but no, no we're not going down that road but yeah like the all the the enemy characters will have like vision cones and stuff like that very much of that year of that sort of like 90s era of stealth games which i really really like and yeah it really focuses on getting that enemy ai really right so they're not stupid they're not going to see you and then the second you go out of sight they're like oh where's he gone oh, we'll go back to our <laughs> patrol yeah but they're not overly aggressive either so it's not as if like um, you know the second you might accidentally pixel brush one of their vision cones they're on you every single character in that room is on you or if like they will kind of investigate uh, uh, and stuff like that and it's very simple you sort of like you try and get around the back of them you try and either execute them or, or knock them out um, you get various different tools and weapons to try and sneak through um but what I always find is the really big test of a stealth game is how does it work when it hits the fan? Because yeah. you get some where it just goes, ah, game over. It's like, ah, oh, okay. Um, what this does, as soon as you get spotted and they start descending on you, you can just shoot the hell out of people in that room um, and, and take them out that way. Um, so if it goes all, if it goes completely wrong, you can you can find ways around it. Again, just really enjoyable for the moment. I don't think I'll be sort of like talking about it at the end of the year until someone mentions it, and I go, "Oh yeah, that was really good." But again, for the uh, for the week or so, I sort of like put into that absolutely fantastic little game. Yeah, how they deal with that being discovered in stealth games is really important, isn't it? Because yeah. you don't want to break the game up so that every time. Well, I mean, you can you can make stealth games where it's an instant fail if you get spotted. 
Um, I but, don't like those. No, I, 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 I don't generally. I think you can you can do them okay if it's an in, literally an instant restart. You know. So yeah, the way the only time sorry, I, 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 I'm probably wrong. Like when I said I don't like that. It can be done right if that game set out more like a puzzle game. So Volume by Mike Biffle works because that is like instant foul when you get caught and stuff like that. That that works, but because they're individual puzzles rather than overarching long levels and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it depends on the game type as well. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't mind them, as I say. It, it's best if you have a, a way that it... It adjusts itself um, to be slightly different if you get discovered. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you can if you can then carry on as if it was a shooter, that's that's fine. Yeah. But you don't at the same time want it just being Hotline Miami, <laughs> you know, where you could just go you know, shoot everything just from the start of it. You still need that balance. Yeah, there is a delicate balance to be struck, definitely. And yeah, again, it's not perfect. You know, I mean, I could go and talk about some of the little quibbles I had with it, but. I, Again, it's a fairly cheapish game. I think I think it's about a tenner. It's a good few hours. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Solid game that you'll enjoy for a few weeks and then move on. And yeah, I'm all for more games like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's it for me, games-wise, this week. Short one. Yeah. Well, I've been... Uh, one of the reasons I haven't been playing a lot of games is because I've been spending a lot of my spare time modding consoles, which takes up a lot of time. <laughs> but thankfully, it's something I really enjoy. So, yeah, I've seen you on the forum we both use. I saw you serve um, the PC engine you've recently done up. Yeah, so I bought some old PC engine GTs, and if anyone doesn't know what they are, they're handheld PC engines. So they're from like 1990 and 91, and they at the time were like ludicrously expensive. So they were about three hundred dollars on release, which is about you know 600 quid in today's money and nobody bought them because they were too expensive just like they didn't buy the neo geo aes uh but like the neo geo aes they're absolutely fantastic so i bought some broken ones and i knew that the issue would be something really simple so i've been fixing those up and selling them on i say them i've only managed to do one (laughs) sellable yet but yeah, no, it's it's just fantastic to bring these things back to life, especially as sometimes it's it, it's not simple because you need both the skills and the tools mm. uh, to do it and a lot of practice. But the when you know what it is and you have the skills and the tools, it can be comparatively easy to do. So you're bringing something that was just junk back to life and giving it a lot of value for people. And that feels really good. Yeah, I can imagine there's something um, inherently positive feeling about bringing, restoring something. Um, I mean, I, I've done it with maybe not the hardware side of things, but I've done it with like a website that I've I've looked at for somebody and had to fix because it is like the code's just a mess. And when you get it and you fix it, it just feels so good. Yeah, mo- there's that factor of it, so you can fix them up so that they work again and there's also improving them there's some that you know that whatever they decided to cut corners and and use cheap components or you know they left features out or whatever and you can just put them off and put them back in and things like you know better av output you know so you've got a better picture and stuff like that and 
fixing, uh, you know, poor signals and adding stereo where there was only mono and stuff like that. And it, yeah, yeah, it's it's great. And getting all the kit together to do it is is the thing, you know, it's not exactly cheap, and you tend to have to sort of build up over a long time. It's once you're there, it's it's a great thing. It's it's really great in this time where I've got you know very little to do. Yeah. To do something so constructive is really good for my mental health. It is, and, you know, without going down the business side of it, it is something where if you really wanted to, you could turn that into a money-making exercise. Now, I don't often agree with doing things like that because if you're doing something for fun and then you try and make money from it, that's when it stops becoming fun. Um, For example, I use, like, my son as an example. He's really good at baking, and he started selling these cakes, Um, Because he was really good at baking and people wanted his cakes, he was having to make them and he was having to do them quick turnarounds and stuff like that. And you could see the enjoyment just went. So it's kind of getting that balance right. Where you look at go, I'm good at this. Could I make money from it? And go, actually, no, I do just want to still do it as a hobby because I don't want it to be something that sucks the enjoyment out of it at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. If there's a way that you, if you want to turn it into a business, the only way that you can make a living from it is if you charge like the market value for the repairs. And Mm. you know, the market value at the moment is really, really high. Uh, Retro gaming has really exploded, and you know, two D retro consoles cost an absolute fortune now. And a, a lot of it is because that you can get like EverDrive cons- uh, EverDrive cartridges and stuff where it's got every single game on the cartridge, uh, which, which I think is a really good idea in general. Uh, it's a different yeah. discussion for another day, but it means that you can just buy one machine and then you've got all the games for it immediately, but you're using the original hardware. And that partly has, has driven up the, the price. So to make a business of it, I'd have to do what you, what you tend to do, which is, you know, put get a hundred 150% profit on on you know the thing that you the thing that you fixed uh but I don't really want to do that I've, I've been just selling them on for a really minor profit like between 10 and 20 percent which is like practically negligible it's like a rounding error um yeah but it, you know really just to shift them out the door and, and give back to the community because I'm enjoying doing it and I've got the time at the moment. So, yeah, no, it, it, like you say, you've got to get that balance right. Otherwise, you know, like your son and, and the cake thing, it, it would, dis- it could destroy the, f- the fun of it completely for you, even if you're doing technically what you love. Yeah. And on the modding, on the modding side of stuff, there's, um, there are things I sort of like really, sort of like really impressed me with it. So one of my favourite handheld consoles of all time is the original Game Boy Advance. But, as everyone knows, the one thing about that console was that bloody god-awful screen that it, that it was originally shipped with. So one of my favourite mods I've seen is um, taking that and putting a, an IPS screen in it. Yep. Which just makes it super like clear. Because ergonomically, I thought that was a wonderful console. Yeah. Um, I loved playing on that thing, even like despite the flaws of the, the darkness of the screen. Um, so getting an IPS screen, one of those, yeah, you, you know, I, I, if I ever tried a modding project, that's the one I would go for. But it's still, it's beyond my financial means to be able to do that one. And the other one I really like, so before we get here, is the turning a DS Lite into a, um, a Game Boy Advance. That is just brilliant. Nice, yeah. Now, funnily enough, the Game Boy Advance SP is my wife's 
console of choice. She she loves it. Yeah. So for Christmas, I bought an IPS screen and fitted it. I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast. Mm. Uh, it was the one where I had to do it at, like, after she'd gone to bed at, like, half 11 at night, <laughs> the, the night before Christmas, because otherwise she would have known what I was doing. So, uh, yeah, but that is, is brilliant. It's a really simple mod, that, as well. Um, yeah, it, but yeah, to to do, but yeah, it was it. It makes an absolute astonishing difference, and doesn't take away from the hardware that you're using. And I think you know, there's one of the things I wanted to. I'm, I'm glad I've just reminded myself of that. There's a, a law in one of the states in in America of the right to repair. Yeah, and it's becoming a really big thing in America now. So. Basically, there are a lot of things like particularly Apple devices, but not just them by any stretch of the imagination, where repair shops and even consumers can't get into them to fix them. And they can be like very, very simple things like just replacing the battery or, you know, it's up to more complex things like you've you've destroyed the screen and you want to put a new screen in. And it means obviously buying a a new unit, which is really wasteful and very, very expensive. And it looks like they're going to try and make that into a law across the whole of America where you have to have the ability to get into it to fix it. And yeah, no, that's a really, really important thing because it stops that terrible waste of just chucking something away when it has a minor fault or, you know, you can't be bothered with it or the battery doesn't charge properly anymore. So, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm guilty of that where if something doesn't work, I'm like, I'm done. Mainly because I don't have, I say I don't have the skills. I mean, I was fixing phones for a little while, but um, I don't have the dexterity to do the little things, like especially soldering and, and stuff like that. So I get put off. So I'm very guilty of, of chucking out. Um, but it's something we are sort of like, I would want to change. So, you know, uh, the current PlayStation controllers we've got are quite happily now. So maybe pull those apart and put a battery, new battery in it. <laughs> Um, and the Xbox controllers. I actually took apart um, the bro- We had a broken Xbox One controller and a broken Xbox One Elite controller. Yeah. Um, it was. It wasn't broken. It was like the Xbox One controller was um, all worn down. Like the the analog sticks had all worn down and a bit grubby because like the kids have been using it. And the Elite controller, the uh, right shoulder button, are completely gone. It was like constantly pressed down. Even though we tried to fix it, it wasn't working. So yeah. we took all the like the good elements from the Elite controller, such as the changeable D-pad, the good, the better, you know, the changeable analog sticks and stuff like that, and put that into the Xbox One controller. And that felt really good to do. So I, I like seeing stuff like that. I love seeing people who mod controllers as well. And add things to them because obviously yeah. that's what's led to the elite controller eventually because that was people were adding triggers to uh, you know back triggers to those uh, but I know Sony have done their own versions now because of like modding communities. Uh, one of those you know I think I said to you before I'm not not bitter but it's like I've gutted I gave you that um, that flight stick now because it's like oh, you've modded that and it looks really it looks really really good I should have kept it. <laughs> It was like yeah. it was one of those, and it's like I, I'd love seeing stuff, and I wish I had the ability and time and stuff like that to do it myself. But I'm, yeah, I'm very envious of people that can. Yeah, no, it is great, and and like you said, it, it does drive innovation sometimes when you know it, it's a feature that people that mod the modding community add in because they feel that it's really important and. 
then he gets adopted by the the bigger companies and I've been pulling apart controllers and either successfully or unsuccessfully fixing them since I was a kid really and um yeah no it's it's great it's really nice to be able to get them revived and not have to just chuck them away yeah oh yeah definitely um and it's one of the things actually looking at it that really surprised me that there wasn't more um ways to get rid of electronics yes like donation bins to get them so they can be taken and fixed yes um yeah. like used to take them down the tip and stuff like that but yeah just something like a Maybe like outside of a like a game, you know. Okay, yeah, it's them making profit off of it, possibly in some way. But if you've got broken old controllers, go and dump it in a in like a, a big bin in game and let them take it, get it fixed, whatever. I know they're a corporation and uh, and so on, but at least it's still stopping the waste side of stuff. Yeah, that, actually, funnily enough, they do do that at our tip, which is quite impressive. So they have a general electronics uh, electrics kind of bin you know for Mm. for stuff that's broken but they also have like a smaller section that's for stuff that just doesn't work that you want to donate um which i think is really good but like you're saying you know uh you could do it at game but yeah they're a corporation but yeah no if they did if they did that and they had that sort of thing at charity shops as well then that would be really good because they could have people who came in and pick them up and then you know, fixed them up and either gave them back to the charity shop or sold them on themselves and, you know, gets back recirculated back into the, you know, into the populace, which would be really good. But talking of corporations, actually, and giving back and, and do things, um, one company that is still showing a positive side, um, and I'm sure there's, well, obviously it's a bigger reason, like, because it's the marketing and it's the good PR that goes with it, but we are still seeing good guy microsoft at the moment have you seen their recent campaign with their um with their giving a, a, a reboxing of the xbox one no no i've not seen this at all right if anyone gets a chance go and go and search for it i'll try and put a link to a youtube video in the description um but basically the concept is if you've got yourself an Xbox Series X or Series S and you've got an Xbox One laying around, instead of selling it or, or letting it gather dust or whatever, rebox it and send it to someone lonely that you know. Um, give it to them and talk them through it, take them through it, the unboxing of it, the setting it up. Maybe if you've got a spare game, give them a game that you can share with them and play with them and then get playing with them online um, and talk to them, get to know them. And the video they done was this young lad who um, apparently was um, given the idea by his parents that they've got a... um, like it's either a friend or or a parent of a friend or something like that. But it's this old dear, she's in her sort of like you can tell she's in her seventies or eighties, and um, he sets up and gives her the Xbox, gets chatting to, and it shows them like week by week, like week one getting her to set it up and asking a couple of basic questions, um, then sort of like playing a bit of Minecraft and getting to know each other a bit more to the point where like in a few weeks she's playing um, some Forza Horizon with them and she's having these really great chats about her past and stuff like that and her talking and understanding about how it's like oh, it's really good you know you know I never really played video games and but it's been really enjoyable and I'm getting to talk to somebody and tell them my story and it is a really really heartwarming thing um and what i really like about it, it's not microsoft trying to profit from it um or anything like that but it's a really nice idea of look people are lonely especially now 
uh, you've got a, basically a box sitting there that's doing nothing possibly. Why not make? Why not do some good? It's just such a heartwarming little thing they're doing. Um, which obviously the bigger picture is: hey, look, we're good guys. Spend more money on our stuff. But um, if some good can come out of doing that, I'm, I'm okay with corporations doing that sort of thing sometimes because it actually came across as very, very genuine. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, obviously, the, the the bottom line is going to be that they they have to make something from it. But they're a company; they're gonna. It doesn't stop it having a, a positive side to it, you know. Uh, and yeah, no, that's a really good, a really good idea, especially as like we were just talking about. So if you encourage people to reuse stuff and not just follow the line of oh our oh our old product that we said we spent millions telling you was the best thing ever. Oh no, that's garbage now. You just throw that away. It it can change people's perspectives a little bit and maybe they'll hold on to things a bit longer and stop them being just wasted. Yeah, and as far as I'm aware, I don't think at the moment to carry on with Microsoft, I don't think yet they've released much if anything, that is series exclusive. No, I don't think um, they have. I don't think there's a single a, game. No, and I know a lot of people, um, when you look at sort of like some of the um, specialist forums and on Twitter and stuff like that, have really used that as a stick to bash them with. But I'm like, no, do you know what? It might run better on the series. But how good is that that even though it's on the series you can still play with someone who hasn't bought it yet especially knowing this year and last year um where getting these consoles to people in people's hands isn't as easy because as sony are pointing out is there's manufacturing issues because they can't get the supplies in because of a pandemic so to have it that i can play a game on my xbox one happily and freely with someone else on a Series S or Series X, I think is an amazing thing. Um, and I know I've seen the thing set up so in that it is feasibly possible to play original Halo or Halo 2, I think it was, on the Xbox with someone on the 360, the One and the S. Nice. Um, and I know it's you've got to do a convoluted setup to get it done, but it's doable. That is impressive, and that is really good. So, again, corporations are in it to make money. We know they're in it to make money. If it was, if they was going to make a crap ton more money by just binning the Xbox One, they would. I'm, I'm, there's no denying that. But when they can spin it and they can actually do positives with it, I'm okay with that. I am actually okay with that because I, I don't begrudge, in a capitalist world, anyone trying to make money. As long as they're not trying to be Bobby Kotick-style greedy who are trying to take all the money. Yeah, yeah, they're on a roll. They're on a really good PR roll. Um, I hope they don't do that thing that all these companies do is where they get arrogant with it and then blow all the good PR they've got. I agree. But carrying on the theme of feel good, because it will go a little bit darker in a bit, unfortunately. Where I've not been playing as many games, we kind of had the TV on a bit this week. One thing we tried to start watching, which is really sort of like heartwarming, and then something we watched um, last night at the time of recording that just really sort of like hit me hard um, in a in quite a depressive way. And it's the, I want to talk a little bit about the power of TV still. We watched, uh, well, we've watched the first five episodes of Ted Lasso. Uh, have you seen any of that yet? No, I haven't. So. I was when I first saw the trailer for it um, last year. Um, I, I was put off, going, "Oh God, this is going to be really annoying. It's going to be cheap jokes and." Bleh. But the idea is, there's this um, American 
uh, football coach called Ted Lasso. And he's brought over to the UK to coach a English association football team um, to cover both sides of the ponds there, a soccer team. And the idea is he's a fish out of water, he's in the UK, and the trailer we had for it made it look like this like sort of like our typical NBC style sitcom. I like Jason Sudeikis, but I was like, oh, this is going to be all the cheap jokes that you usually get with, oh, look, the Americans don't understand football. Um, and we started watching it because I heard good things about it from lots of people going, do you know what, it's a lot better than it should be. So I thought, oh, we'll give it a go. And it starts off the first episode. It really almost sets you up where he comes across and it does this whole, oh my God, look, this American's coming over to the UK to manage a premiership football team, a fake premiership football team, by the way, called Richmond, um, based in South London. And it's like, uh, you know, all the all the footballers there are like caricatures, like they're all arrogant or like they're, they've got their money with their um, bimbo girlfriends and stuff like that. Um, and that, that's how it sets it up, like, the first 15 minutes. And then it just literally does an about-face and becomes this really heartwarming comedy drama. He's been followed around by um, a writer from The Independent, and he's saying, like, Ted Lasso, he's going to fail. He's going to fail. And he goes on about all the positives about him, how he's in the community, and he's, he takes it all on and he uses it, he turns it into a positive Um and it's just really good. And he, he he's speaking to the guy from the Independent. And this is the one that really resonated with me. As someone who coaches kids football. And I've always had a philosophy. is It's not about results. It's about sort of like building kids into being sort of like the best they can be. And that's literally what um, there's a, a bit where he talks about. And he, he says, I, I feel, you know, I don't care about winning or losing. And again, the guy starts going, oh my God, yeah, this, this is stupid. You know, he doesn't care. He says it again. He goes, I'll say again, I don't care about whether it's results, whether we win or lose. It's about this group of young men and making them be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be. And you can see, so it's not about results. And you can see, like, because they've built this relationship up and he's started to understand him, him just going, yeah, wow, you are a really good human being. And it really resonates because that's the attitude I'm trying to put together with my kids. And it does it really well. It's not doing it in this cheesy sort of like melodramatic daytime TV soap kind of way. It does it in this really subtle building kind of way. And I'm only halfway through the first season. But, you know, after we started watching the first couple. I think we banged out five episodes in the first night and just absolutely fed in love with it. Me, my partner and my son all sat there engrossed by this thing. And it's yeah, absolutely brilliant. Anyone gets a chance and you want to feel good, watch Ted Lasso absolutely outstanding cool and what channel or you know service is that on apple tv and to be honest you can get that on a one week free trial and you'll bang that out in a week um quite easily right gotcha yeah absolutely it's heartwarming it's like it's one of the first times for ages that a tv program has maybe just have that emotion i think we've spoke about the boys before and the feelings that gives you but the emotionally the boys didn't hit me it made me think um and the way it presented um real world politics in a superhero setting i thought was really good um but this yeah it's just hit me just right in you know right in the feels um i'm sorry for having to say it like that but yeah that's how it hit me cool yeah sounds good just interjecting with a brief content warning as we'll be discussing a television programme that covered the subject of childhood sexual abuse. To avoid this, skip to minute 57.
uh, the other thing I've been watching, and it had the absolute opposite effect, was a program on Channel 4. There's a documentary about catching um, paedophiles. Um, my partner wanted to watch it. Any kind of true crime stuff she'll watch, but she, she you know, she worked um, with like in kids' homes and stuff like that um, years ago, so that kind of thing interests her. And so we, so she sat down to watch it, and because I couldn't really see very well to play games, because I usually leave her to it, I, I sat down and watched it with her. And um, first of all, the document, the, the makers of the program, fair play to them. They don't do, do you know, like on, um, like those sky crime type things where they've got all the dramatic music even though they're doing something quite good it's done to be entertainment and they've got this like sort of like um really dramatic music when they're talking about the murderer or something like that um do you know the thing yes yeah I yeah do. <laughs> it, it doesn't have any of that it, there, there, from what i can remember there was no sort of like dramatic music pauses or anything it was just done very plain um, and that was really effective and the very first moment it opens it's got this guy sat in a car talking about um this other life he leads and you know he goes um he's, he's having trouble in his marriage um he's got this four-year-old daughter and he goes into detail about what he likes to do to his four-year-old daughter um and you're sitting there just going first of all you're going bloody hell i can't believe he's like talking about this um you're like jesus christ this is horrible turns out this guy's an undercover copper and this is the persona he's putting on to go online to sort of entrap paedophiles and part of me started off was going entrapment i don't agree with entrapment regardless of whatever it is i don't think i agree with entrapment but they give reasons as to why they do entrapment and you, you're kind of by the end, at the end of this 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 episode you're going yeah okay i do i get why you need to entrap paedophiles i get it because um, it doesn't glamorise it all, any of it at all. But he puts on this persona um, so he can help catch them. And he goes basically into chat rooms online and like they, they send him sort of like, oh, you know, um, I hear you've got this. Like he, talk, he bigs up his daughter and they go, oh, yeah, I'd like to meet you and your daughter and this is what I'd like to do to him. But it's like, even on the like the supposed Tamer stuff, it's it's just sitting there just going, no, this is horrible I, I don't like this um and there's one part in the episode whereby he he talks about some of the stuff he had to go on the dark web and some of the stuff he had seen on there and there was one that was talking about sort of like torture of a baby um like sexual torture along with other torture um and he started talking about it. He, he said to the interview he goes do you want to hear this and you could hear in his voice when he said do you want to hear this it the question was like this is disgusting mate do you really want to hear it but it was all you could hear in his voice it was please say no um but the interviewer was gone yeah no tell us um and he started telling it and then about two-thirds of the way through telling him what all this this actually was he went no look we, we need to stop i need to go and speak to my counselor um and you can see how heavy it hit him and some of the stuff they describe, um, like the pictures they get, the videos they get, and what goes on on the normal internet is just, it was heartbreaking, it was disgusting. Um, and you just don't know how, I don't know if it's because I've got my own kids or anything like that, but, you know, I feel miserable watching it. And when they speak about what's on the dark web, I've always been intrigued by the dark web, but I've never wanted to go on the dark web. Um 
and they start talking about what's on there and you, you feel physically sick in hearing some of it um, and then they like a couple of the um gets they they manage so there's like they managed to get two of the paedophiles that they were investigating um one looked like he could have been a paedophile um he was kind of a bit of a larger chap um he looked a bit um down on himself and he like he looked and gone yeah maybe i get it he doesn't look like like a a stereotypical paedophile but yeah i get it another guy they got was maybe sort of like late 20s early 30s maybe something like that and he just looked normal uh but now i know we all know that you know that's the danger you know most people who are sort of like serial killers look normal they're, you know they're good looking chaps and uh, and stuff like that because that's how they have the personality that goes with it so the guy looked absolutely normal and the idea was he put a, a message up in a, a toilet in kent um, advertising to other paedophiles and he was trying to claim that he was doing it because he's never actually acted on it in terms of physically abusing a child but he knows he has these feelings and he wanted to discuss it with other people uh, and he was and he was presenting it in a way that you're not sympathetic to but you're going well he's trying to do something about it i get it but then it turns out you know when it's doing it that he was actually making and distributing like pornographic material as well at the same time and it's like uh, so they're very good at manipulation, um, even sort of like with people watching from the outside and, and even the police to a degree at some point, they're really good at manipulation. And it was just, I, I came away from it and there was no, even though there was a resolution to it and, you know, it said, oh, you know, they was investigating 10, they arrested five, um, charged three and three were put into prison. At no point after that was you going, oh, that's good that they got them. It just felt miserable absolutely miserable and um my partner's like she wanted to watch it because she said that's something she felt like she's like would like to possibly do would be to go into the police system and work doing that kind of thing you know sort of like you know profiling capturing paedophiles she said within about half hour of watching it that was something she felt she couldn't do anymore because you saw the effect it was having on people and you know the investigators their mental health and it was just, yeah, I just so depressing, such a depressing thing. But at the same time, it's good to know that there are people, you know, we complain about the police, like certain roles of the police and stuff like that. And the way they treat certain individuals or certain races and stuff like that. But to know that there are teams out there, there are people out there in an official capacity that are doing their best to crack down on this and protect even one child's life is just it, it's both depressing and uplifting at the same time it's a really weird feeling to have well i think you know when you talk about and think about documentary filmmaking there's obviously a responsibility on behalf of the of the filmmaker well there should be but yeah. not all the time no no but you know, you with a major broadcaster, it's generally within certain boundaries. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a general thing of you know, it, you've got to put things over in as honest a way as possible, but that doesn't necessarily mean putting all the detail in. Um, and I would not have approached directing that documentary in that way. So I would have left off anything that directly talked about you know what what was done and committed um 
it's certainly not from somebody's mouth. I mean, you could. I would perhaps do it in a sort of removed way of a list, doing a a very quick list of the sorts of things that would be that were actually ended up being discussed um, in a in as dry a way as possible. I wouldn't have necessarily had them come out of someone's mouth because there's, there's an emotional power to that that I don't think you should be tapping into on a TV programme, possibly. Um, people so might disagree with me. I, I am going to disagree with you there because if this was done in that typical this is a documentary for semi-entertainment sake, I would agree with you. But this wasn't. Um, this was far from it. This was about as it was never presented as entertainment. It was it was presented as a factual thing. Now I think had they elicited it or, or tried to skirt around some of it in some way, I don't think it would have been as effective as it needed to be, because I, I'm fully aware there's paedophiles out there. And I'm fully aware of what a paedophile is, what they do, but. I think it's not. I don't. I don't want to say they've obviously they've not become accepted in society, um, but there's um, sort of like pedos are. You know, they they look at pictures of kids or you know they they interfere with kids of a certain age and stuff like that. And to hear the depraved nature of what some of the extreme cases are coming directly from someone's mouth and how it's affecting them, even having to talk about it, really hits home as to why stuff needs to be done and why it's sort of like you know the idea of the morally ambiguous entrapment has to be done because if you don't and then what they really said actually and what was really interesting and this is one of the hit they basically alluded to um do you know sort of like when you go on facebook groups and you hear people talk about oh we should name and shame all the pedos and stuff like that and you always get the one guy who's got the bravado about it they basically explain why that is not a good idea. They're not protecting the paedophiles. But the reason they will do stuff in secret and they won't make it known to sort of like their neighbours when they're investigating them and stuff like that is because if they did, the community would drive them underground and they will never get them. And they will yeah. do a lot more damage. I understand. Um, I've got to break in for a second because I think I don't think I've explained what I meant properly. Sorry, so go on. what I was saying was I don't think that you should have somebody who is on the screen, and I might have misunderstood what you were talking about, but I think I've got it right. Somebody on the screen acting out as if it was real, saying something uh, about you know what they want sexually. Uh, oh, no, 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 it wasn't done like that. Sorry, it was the investigating officer who was basically talking to the interviewer. Um, as he was working, going sort of like, this is what we found on the dark web. Right. Um, it was not not like a, an actor or, or acting out someone going, oh, this is what I like to do. This was the investigating officer talking about the stuff he's found while doing the investigation. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I yeah. also, I'm not, I'm a little bit iffy about that as well. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm totally for people talking about their own experience in their own words. Yeah. So, great example is the, the Michael Jackson documentary where the, the alleged, abu- uh, uh, you know, sufferers, the survivors talk about their experiences. Mm. I'm not sure about anything beyond that. Uh, it's a big debate, but 
Mm, oh I, yeah, I mean it wasn't comfortable. I'm not going sort of like it was. Like, it was not comfortable viewing at all. But yeah, it's just. I mean, obviously, it's going away from the main point of what the discussion was, which is just the power of TV at times when it's done right. Um, I think over the years, the past, I would say, the past decade, maybe even less, the past five years, definitely since the advent of Netflix and and stuff like that, I think TV's become very diluted. Um, in terms of what it tries to do, there, there, there was very little in terms of actual powerful, effective TV. Um, and the likes of Ted Lasso, The Boys, docu- certain documentaries that are coming out, I think we're starting to see a rise again of really effective, powerful TV again. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of really good documentaries on Netflix, which is fantastic, and I think. You know, they've probably come to prominence because they're comparatively cheap to make compared to, like, paying for a load of stars. But um, that doesn't matter. The main thing is that, that, yeah, the vast majority of them are very informative and very good. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good thing. Uh, Not to step on your point, but I'm I'm sure you're going here. But that, you said, that program made you depressed. And that's kind of the core of what, I kind of have a problem with as well in that if you go into these things that there's a line at which you can be informed and also feel disgust um as in disgusted not as in chatted about so you can feel you know you, you feel disgusted at what's happening but you can intellectualize it and if the program goes over that line it starts to have a negative emotional impact on you to a degree where you can't cope with it and there aren't very many programs like that. I've only seen a handful, um, mm. but there are fictional programs like that as well that that can do that to you. And it's like you know, well, you're not doing anything or saying anything that's illegal, and you couldn't broadcast necessarily. But it's still too much, and that's in a sort of yeah. you know a personal judgment. And it does sound as though this went a bit too far in that direction. So I don't know. Is is that what you what you felt ultimately from the program? See, it's weird. I think immediately after, I, I say I felt sort of like, just like, Jesus Christ, I hate this world. I hate humanity. Um, but as I said, then after a few minutes to think about it, part of me was going, actually, this is a very small section of humanity and there are people who are combating it. And it, I say, well, I wasn't feeling like, oh, you know, this is all good now. But it wasn't sending me into a deep sort of like state of, oh, my Jesus, you know, there's no point being in this world or anything like that anymore. But, it, you know, there was a kind of like, people are bad. Some people just are bad. and But there is good to know there are people out there who are the opposite and will fight for it. Now, again, honestly, I don't want to say that it had a greater effect on possibly me than it would others because I've got kids, um, especially of the ages they was talking about as well, um, because that's one that's very cliche and it's very dismissive. But I honestly do think I was affected more by that because of my age of my kids um, and that I've got kids than I would have been, say, 15, 16 years ago when I didn't have kids and if I watched it then. Yeah, we we definitely relate to things and understand them better when we have uh, a, an emotional connection to the type of people who could be impacted. I think mm. for sure, yeah, um, and yeah, I do. I do actively avoid certain stuff. You know, I'm not like. I mean, I, you know, like all my experiences on 
Samaritans. Uh, sorry to bring it up again. I don't want. No, to no, do. I think it's feel. good to know. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of them were life-changingly uh, intense and you know bad in some ways, and you know, some of them positive in in other ways. So, you know, I'm not mentally unprepared for stuff like this uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but some of it is just, is still too much for me in certain ways, mm. um, in certain ways that it's presented. And it's kind of like, it's almost as, as when you've internalised something and you know that it happens, then for some people you never need to hear hear the details again. You just need to be told of of its existence again, so that you know um, that it's being combated, that the police are on it, you know that there are detectives out there sorting things out, blah blah blah. All that a particular you know criminal has been apprehended for it, that's fine. Mm. And but yeah, I, I draw a line with some stuff of bringing it bringing it into my sort of free time. I, I think pro- people probably do that. Edit some of this stuff out themselves quite often yeah um, well the, there was there was one part there's actually of it i mean there's there was one section in particular and it would seem seem almost fairly mundane compared to some of the descriptive stuff uh, that really hit me when no you've gone way too far now it was very early and they're talking about um like almost like a montage of like the different types of people that they they see and they turn around and go, look, this guy here goes, uh, read out, goes, I'm a teacher in Brighton. And they kind of just leave it at that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. You can't do that. Because yeah. that is enough of a description. If I'm a parent in Brighton, you know, I, I, again, I'm not naive. I know there's a, a likelihood that of the however many hundred, like thousands of teachers there are, there's going to be one or two who might be a paedophile. So I'm not naive. I know that's a possibility. But if you're a parent in Brighton and you've just and you was watching this program and you've just seen someone go, "Hey, I'm a teacher," or you're reading that guy, there's this guy who says he's a teacher in Brighton, that would have me cause for a little bit of worry more than I would have because knowing that yes, there is a possibility of it is one thing. But if they'd have turned around and gone, um, "We've got this guy who says he's a teacher in Chelmsford," then all of a sudden that's not just a well, I know this happens. This is like, well, crap. That could actually be a my son's school. Yeah. That, yeah. And they kind of just left it. It was kind of almost nonchalant. And that was the one thing where I think it went way too far. You did not need to put that in there. That was going too far. The second you name somewhere, that can cause potential local panic. And I, I think that was the one point. Um, I, You know, I'll disagree with you on the descriptive nature of some of the stuff. I, I felt in the context of the programme, it, it was needed to hammer home the message of why they do certain things. Um, but this of naming a place with no consequence whatsoever, that is taking it too far. That is stepping over the line because that can cause a panic. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, definitely the, the sort of paedophile panic of... The early, was it the early 2000s or the late 90s or yeah. whatever and uh, it's kind of like yeah the, the, that kind of gr- group group think uh, can is very dangerous it's almost sort of cultish behavior 
and it can be instigated especially around emotive subjects and you do have to be really really careful about it yeah um as for this program yeah no sorry i mean i probably don't actually disagree with you that much in in reality it's just, i i haven't seen the program itself but yeah i think i might have to watch it you know even though it would be difficult watch yeah, I think you could probably you'd probably be able to get it on all four. Yeah, but yeah you're, obviously you're getting it secondhand from someone whose ADHD mind oh, might no. not have remembered every detail <laughs> properly as well. So <laughs> no, no, I'm not criticizing your your. Oh no, no, I all. get that, but yeah, it's. Um, I know how I describe things. I, I describe things in sort of like minute detail, but not often the detail that's needed or the the right context of things. So again, yeah, it's again your thoughts on what i've said compared to sort of like if after you've watched it might be completely different yeah uh, but i what you're saying I, I i get as well because it's very close to the bone a lot of it yeah i'd be i'd be interested to see what i think is the ultimate aim of the producers because yeah there are people out there who probably don't understand how these pedophile gangs and criminals operate it's not common knowledge i would expect you know that it's about developing things and it's about you know building things rather than just about a a photograph here or there and and stuff like that um so it's all about what the intended impact on the viewer is is it to uh inform is it to shock you know is it to titillate and yeah it sounds like it's avoided most of the pitfalls but i'd be interested to see ultimately where it lands and but irrespective of all that yes watching those things no matter what their angle it it can take a real toll on you and i I think having stuff like ted lasso to go to is great (laughs) it's the thing that should that should be more common and i think that it's been quite uncommon for a long time that we've not had a lot of feel good and positive kind of comedy and um because I started thinking about 90s comedies, uh, which became massive, which aren't actually very positive. Stuff like Friends, which sounds like it mm. should be positive, but we rewatched it recently. It's just as something in the background. And ultimately, it's like these are very privileged people who actually damage people's lives around them more than, than they enrich them. You go, yeah, like you go back and you look at the the way they handle lesbian relationships and stuff like that, and it's yeah. wow, yeah. wow, that's not good. And it's yeah, and even not just picking on friends, you know, a, a lot of a lot of shows like that, uh, yeah. they, they weren't overtly like they weren't bad. They weren't ne- didn't have a negative impact on you, but they just they were trying to be more a little bit more earthy. I think they they took on a lot it's of probably. The, they probably mm. felt they was progressive having yeah. like a lesbian couple in the background, but it's like yeah. no, yeah, that's like having a token black guy. Just because having them there, that doesn't quite make it. But at the time, it felt really progressive. Yes, yeah, it was trying to be a bit more sophisticated, and I think it it kind of was because of The Simpsons and Roseanne. You know, they were they were trying to and married with children to a lesser extent. They were trying to do something a bit more down to earth, and but that meant that you yeah. did lose the ones that were just pure kind of uplifting stuff and i think there's there's yeah. definitely room and a need for that kind of tv so it's good that ted lasso yeah. exists is what i'm saying oh yeah definitely because i think we got to a stage in the last decade or so where a lot of comedy especially wasn't 
funny it was mean yeah and that was the funny the part that it was mean and there were standouts like brooklyn 99 really enjoy brooklyn 99 even though it's a bit difficult to watch, to maybe start watching it again, knowing that Terry Crews is some kind of arsehole now, which is really weird. Oh, that's such a um, shame, yeah. It is. But, you know, again, he's not enough. He's not gone down like the J.K. Rowling route where I will just completely go, no, do you know what? I'm done yeah. with anything she's involved I with. I will watch it because I can, just for what his views are, it's like, no, you're wrong. Wise up a bit. You're being a bit of a dick rather than it's outright nasty. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's that side of it. But even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a standout in terms of positiveness, still has that element of the way it treats some characters. Um, now they have evolved them over the time, but the way like Boyle is treated in that early on, yeah, and the way um, Scully and... Um, Hitchcock. I nearly said Mulder. Hitchcock, <laughs> yeah. Um, the way Scully and Hitchcock are treated um, early on was they was below everyone else and uh, they was treated nastily in a way that evolved them and you could, you could tell they've learned from that but that started from that point where comedy was hey let, let's mock those that are different um let's be mean to them yeah so to see a comedy that does go for the that's where we're going to trap you in 15 minutes and then subvert that instantly yeah more of that please a lot more of that. definitely and i think i would heartily recommend um, Brooklyn Nine Nine is a feel good thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean every show has its little blips, but ninety nine percent of it is absolutely yeah. brill. And Parks and Recreation, very similar. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad we could finish that more on an uplifting thing rather than where the subject was going. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to try and think of a name for this episode as well. That's going to be fun. Just concentrate on the gaming part of it for when you're thinking of a name. Um, so, but yeah, no. Um, again, to point out with, with video games, it's just knowing they're there is a good thing. Um, I, I kind of like after I watched it last night, I tried to play a bit of Pro Evo, um, not successfully because my eyes, um, but I tried to play a bit of Pro Evo, and it was good knowing that there was something there to escape to. Yeah, and video games are going great from that. Because, again, with TV, it's very passive, so you're just soaking it in rather than being engaged. So, yeah, to finish out, video game, video games for the absolute win at times. Yep. So, yeah. But, again, as usual, I'll leave you to, unless you've got anything else you want to say and to pick up on, then you can do the sign out. No, nothing new. So, just hoping that uh, people are staying safe and staying sane. You know, it can be a challenge with everything going on at the moment. But yeah, so other than that, just follow us on Twitter and all the other socials. Watch our content on YouTube. Donate on Patreon and Coffee if you feel moved and you can afford it. Never put yourself in any financial difficulty on anyone's behalf, though, especially not ours. But yeah, hopefully you're enjoying this and staying safe. And in the meantime, until next week, take care and we'll see you soon.